0: Welcome to the Vero Beach Online Worship Experience. Here it's our mission to help you in your pursuit to love God, love others, and make disciples. And we believe that that is one of the major and prime things that we can do as followers of Jesus. So we wanna help you in your walk as you learn to fall in love with that gospel. You know, we use that word a lot, gospel. And so let's just go ahead and flat out define it. Gospel is from the Greek word eugelion which means the good news. It's what kings would pronounce whenever they marched into a city that was under their providence. They would announce, come announcing the gospel, the good news of their reign. And Jesus comes announcing that reign as well. But here's the thing about good news. is Good news is only good when it invades bad places. Like, are you tracking with me? <laughs> Things can only be good whenever they are invading bad spaces where some level of anxiety or fear already reside. So maybe bad things are going on, and you can say, oh, that's good news, because good is coming out of the bad. So when the doctor tells you, comes with a report and tells you you are healthy, oh, that's good news. Or whenever she says yes, whenever you propose to her, Oh, that's good news why because you knew something could have gone nasty in that moment you see in order for us to understand the good news about jesus we have to understand that there is bad news as well so let's just go ahead and readjust our expectations for this morning's lesson this is going to be the bad news day tracy has blessed me with that day of of giving you the bad news But in order for us to even begin to discuss the conversation happening in Genesis chapter 3, we have to address and talk about and illuminate the bad news of the world. And I I, I know, I know this world and this year has already offered up enough bad news to hold us over. But here's what I promise you. As we lay out and illuminate the bad news that exists in our world, what it's going to do is it's going to help make the good news more glorious for us. But this world is busted up. And the reality is is that many of us, our day-to-day lives, they live within that bad news. In fact, there is a select group of people who are more aware of the bad news in the busted up world because of their occupation. They're more in tuned with it. Let me give you an example. Many of us were currently watching a new, and when I say watching, I mean, let's be honest, many of us have binge-watched <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Netflix series titled Unsolved Mysteries. Now, while many of us are playing couch detective, eating our cereal in our pajamas, trying to solve these unsolvable crimes, the people in those, uh, those videos, police officers, detectives, medical examiners, social workers, search parties, and volunteers. These people know how messed up the world is because they are experiencing it five, eight hours a day, five days a week. They see it every day. Now, most of us, we're not dialed in like those people are to the brokenness and the darkness of this world. So, because of that, there's two primary ways that our eyes are open to the brokenness of the world one of those we're living in right now you see every once in a while there will be something like a public shooting or an international pandemic and in the reality of the brokenness of the world it's like a fog is lifted from our eyes and we look out the window and we we shake our head saying man the world is just messed up out there thankfully it's not every day that we have public shootings or pandemics or the likes to remind us of that brokenness. So instead, primarily, there is this low-grade gnawing within us that reminds us that there is so much more out there for us, we just don't know exactly what that more is for us. Like, there's this gnawing. If you know what I'm talking about, there's this deep feeling that I feel that there's, there's more, there's something more, something more significant, something greater for my life. And I'm not talking about a selfish desire. I'm talking about this realization that the world is not what it's supposed to be. Now, here's a truth that some of us have to face. Maybe you're listening to me now and you're thinking, well, Peyton, I don't feel that. Like, my life's pretty good. My life's pretty comfortable. And if you've severed yourself and you've satisfied that feeling and you feel like, well, this world is everything I ever want. I don't want to go anywhere else. You've actually given up one of the greatest gifts God has given us. This deep feeling for something more, something more for the world, something more for you, something more for all of creation. You see, the world as it is, the world you and I live in, it's not the world God intended it to be. And I'm not talking about dinosaurs here. No, the world you and I live in, it's not the world God designed it to be. You see, the story, it it opens up with God confronting chaos and disorder, and he brings order and beauty to his creation. That's where this series began in Genesis. And humans, they were formed and they were appointed as God's divine partners. And we talked about that as well in the Imago Day, made in the image of God to rule the universe. And as his representatives, representatives humanity can choose to trust God, to, to want and desire God's wisdom to rule his good world. And that would result in a blessing for the entire world. But what did we learn last week? that humans choose to define good and bad on their own. And what this does is it begins this destructive cycle that reintroduces chaos and disorder back into God's good world. And it's at that point that we pick up in today's portion of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It reads, now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the serpent, he said to the woman, now, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say that you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. (laughs) You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened. You'll, You'll, in fact, you'll be like God, knowing good and bad. Now, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, it was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it. She ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together, And they made coverings for themselves. You see, the author has chosen to disclose a small but important clue to the story by revealing something about the snake. He was more crafty than any of the other creatures. That God had created. Now, that word used there is not primarily used in a negative sense throughout the Bible. It's used eight times in Proverbs, two times in Job. Let me give you some of those examples. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23, it says, A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 18, it says this The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple, they go on and they suffer for it. You see, the description of the serpent as crafty, it's, it's keeping up with several features that the author has already introduced in the Genesis story. And, and it, what it seems the author is trying to do is he's trying to build a relationship between the story here in Genesis and the human quest for wisdom that we're gonna see in other parts of the Bible. And, and Tracy really drove that home last week when he talked about the two trees and the choice. But here's my point the disobedience of the humans is not depicted in this story as a great wickedness or a great transgression. Like, it's not like the humans were seeking out rebellion against god they didn't desire to rebel against god rather what's happening in this story is they made a huge mistake it's huge folly you see they had all of the good that they could have ever needed in that garden but they wanted more they wanted to be like god now doesn't that story sound familiar a people who have everything they want to be happy, to be satisfied, to be content, but yet they long for more. And that discontent, it begins in us as children, does it not? Like we, we go and we play with our friends, or we notice the clothes that they're wearing and the toys that they're playing with, and we grow jealous. We visit their neighborhoods uh, and we notice the houses they live in and we wish we could live in a neighborhood like that. Kids these days, they see the vacation their friends are going on on social media, Instagram, and the likes, and they're wishing their family could go on that kind of vacation. And through culture and through a mixture of culture and self-indulgence, we begin to nurture that greed within us. And then as adults we begin to grow discontent in our jobs we think we deserve so much more than we're getting we grow discontent in our families everybody else seems to have their life together why can't I we grow discontent in, in ourselves even I wish I was prettier I wish I was taller, I wish I was skinnier, I wish I was smarter, I wish I was more creative, braver, less anxious. And notice how little effort it takes on behalf of the snake in the garden. The snake only speaks two times. Two sentences. That's all it takes to offset the balance of trust and obedience that man and woman and Creator had. Two sentences is all it took to sever that bond. How many sentences does it take for you? And you know what I'm talking about. It's that, that little self-talk that you, whenever you know you shouldn't be doing that thing, but you begin to justify it in your mind. Well, I'll just go out and I'll just have one drink with my friends and then I'll cut myself off. I'm just going to send one flirty text back to this girl Like, it's not cheating yet. I'm just going to see how she responds. Now, I'll I'll just watch porn one more night. One more night, and then I'll I'll cut it off for good. Like, I'll just slide a little bit of that business money into my personal spending account. Just a little bit. Like, my family really needs it right now, and, and I have full intentions of paying it all back. Nobody has to know. Have you ever found yourself saying those words? So let's talk about that for a moment, because I think there's many Christians out there who would like to push the blame of the evil and disorder that exists in the world on Satan or the devil, on Adam and Eve, and that thought, it originates right here in Genesis chapter 3. But the problem is, is that that's not the story of the Bible. So quickly, what is the story of the Bible? Well... The story of the Bible is to restore the world to its rightful order. It's what we've been talking about so far in this this series in Genesis. To get hell and evil and disorder out of the good creation. Now, I want you to pay attention to what I just said because it's foundational to understanding the story of the Bible and to understanding the gospel of Jesus. Notice I did not say... That the story of the Bible is to get people the hell out of earth or creation. But rather, the story of the Bible is to get hell and evil and disorder out of God's good creation. God hates evil. He hates hell. And he's always looking at something deeper inside of us. You see, God is more serious about the injustices that exist in the world than we are. Like, like, we want to eradicate things like murder and thievery, but God, through Jesus, he wants to eradicate hate and greed from the human heart. We want to eradicate sex trafficking and child sex slavery. Well, God, through Jesus, he wants to eradicate lust from the human heart. We want to eradicate things like racism and genocide. Well, God, through Jesus, he wants to eradicate pride and contempt and rage from the human heart. Like God God hates these big things, these raging fires that exist in our world. He wants them gone from our world. God wants these things gone, but he's more serious about them than we are. You see, what is genocide? What is sex trafficking? What is racism? They're these raging hellfires that exist in our world and are destroying the good creation. But they are ignited by small sparks of deep-rooted distortion that exist in the human heart and the human mind. That exist in my human heart and mind. You see, God wants to get hell and evil and disorder out of this world. And he wants to get hell and evil and disorder out of you. And that's good news, but it's a double-edged sword. Because while I want God to get these things out of the God's good creation, I don't want him to get rid of me and the process because we have met the enemy. It is me. It's not some pitchforked demon out there pulling the strings of evil. It's unchecked, nurtured evil that resides in each of our hearts. And the only reason that this process of renewal is good news is because of who it's coming from. You see, if a surgeon comes to you, and he has a scalpel in his hand, and he says, I need to cut you open, Because there is something nasty and ugly living inside of you, and it's killing you. You'd view that as good news, wouldn't you? It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But it's good news. And that's the story of the Bible. And so as we move through this narrative of the first humans in the garden, we have to realize, as Tracy emphasized last week, that we can't, We can't cast the blame of the fall of humanity on Adam or Eve or Satan or the serpent, But the burden lies on each of us as we take part in participating in bringing about the chaos and disorder in God's good world. Like the problem that we're talking about this morning, it's not a garden problem. It's a human problem. And we have to learn to face that music. There's a lot to say. <laughs> and Tracy and I, we, we say a lot of it. We say more of it in our podcast, The Bible Peel. Where we take each of these lessons and we dive deeper into them, looking at the literary design, looking at the original language, looking at more abstract ideas that are threaded throughout the Bible. And so I encourage you, if you want to go further in this discussion, go wherever you find podcasts, find The Bible Peel or check out thebiblepeel.com. That's P-E-E-L, The Bible Peel. There's so much more to say. But I want to focus in on one last thing because it has helped me in reshaping my image of God's character. So going back to Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Behold, the humans have become like one of us in knowing good and bad. Now, lest they reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat of it and live forever, therefore Yahweh sent them out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they were taken. Now, here's how I've always read that part of the story Humans are evil. And God is mad. God is angry. In fact, God is so angry with humanity that he can't even stand looking at them anymore. And so he kicks them out of the garden, right? Because they have to be punished, right? Yeah, of course. Right? The garden isn't good enough for you, so leave the garden. You're exiled. And if you've ever seen the Disney adaption of Beauty and the Beast, you, you have an idea in your head of what this scene might look like. Like, get out of the castle. Get out. I no longer want to see you anymore. But we run into a problem, <laughs> is that despite what I have always thought this story to be, and despite what we have learned up to this point, that's not the picture that the story, that the text seems to be painting for us. It seems to be painting a much different portrait. Like, notice, God's action are not out of anger, they're out of anguish. God's actions and and casting them out of the garden, it's not out of exposure, but it's out of safety. Like with the eyes of humans now open, with them having the knowledge of what is good and bad, with them now on the path towards pain and suffering and death, God's not going to allow them to remain in that state forever. He's going to protect them and save them from it. And so here's what that means for us as followers of Jesus as we reflect on this story in Genesis chapter 3. We hold on to the belief that God deeply cares for his creation, all of creation, us included. We hold tightly to the belief that Jesus, he lived as the perfect human that we were designed to be, but we fail. Jesus lived as this evil free life that only loved it only gave, and was only other-centered. In his life, it was so repulsive, so offensive, so scandalous to those around him that it actually created one of the greatest paradoxes of the Bible. You want to know what that is? That God so loved and was so committed... To his broken world that's ruined by the hell fires that we have created here. The hell and evil and distortion that we have made. That he actually allows that hell and evil and disorder to overwhelm him and destroy him. But God is committed to his world. That he created in the beginning. That he called very good. We see that right here. We see that commitment. And he loved it so much that he wouldn't allow hell or evil or disorder to have the last word. And the resurrection of Jesus, it's a moment of new life. It's a moment that speaks of God's love and eternal commitment to this good world. And that's good news. But it's hard news. Because what it means is that we have to leave the gardens that we have created for ourselves. And we have done that. We've created these gardens of comfort that our culture offers us. We've created these gardens of ease of a life that's been promised to you. We've we've built these gardens of a promise that you deserve to be something or somebody significant. We have to leave those gardens and we have to enter into this dark, broken, non-ordered world. And we have to co-partner with God in bringing about life and light and healing and order. And so may we continue to walk faithfully as as we survive through this pandemic. May we listen to the cries of our black brothers and sisters. And may we make it through our day-to-day troubles as we experience the pains of this life. May we walk faithfully into all of these things. And may we recognize our contribution to the evil and the disorder that exists in this world. And may we seek to make amends and continue to make sacred, safe, ordered spaces in this world once again. That's Genesis 3. Thank you for joining us for this online worship experience. We are continually praying for you and your family and your loved ones as we make it through this pandemic and the chaos of this world together. And if there's any way that our church can continue to do more for you, please make that known to us. We love you. Have a blessed week.